Thor Garbage, product manager for Project Catalyst, takes our questions and we do not hold back. Plus, crypto investment fund FD7 announced they're trading $750 million worth of Bitcoin for Cardano and Polkadot. What's their strategy here? We asked the fund manager in an exclusive you'll only see here on your Cardano update. Hello everyone out there, such a pleasure having you join us on this Friday, the 26th of February 2021. I am of course your host, James Kiever, a stake pool operator at United Stakes of Cardano. Along with Dave and Isaac, we run a competitive fee, high pledge stake pool, and we'd love for you to delegate with our pool. In return, you'll be rewarded with ADA deposited directly into your wallet every five days. And the best part is those rewards compound. Look us up in Daedalus or Eroy under the ticker USA01. Also, if you would, please hit that like button and make sure you're subscribed to our channel. And without further ado, Project Catalyst has to date snowballed, and that's putting it mildly. With funds in the millions, Project Catalyst will ensure continued development on Cardano for decades to come. But as we get the ball rolling, a few details have come up, and the good folks at Input Output have agreed to come on and answer a few questions. He's been the face of Project Catalyst since it's been on the scene, hosting the monthly Project Catalyst Town Hall videos, product manager for Project Catalyst, Dor Garbage. Dor, very grateful to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. Sure. Now, you've basically spearheaded the creation of the largest decentralized treasury in the crypto space to date. Before we really dive in, how does one land a gig like that? Hmm. Uh, <laughs> I think you go on a... You, 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 have a, you collect a peculiar interests that seem completely irrelevant for normal life <laughs> for many years. And then the opportunity arises where actually all these all these things uh, come together. I mean, I guess you know. So I've been um, on a little like uh, you know journey around the concept of decentralized collaboration and how how people collaborate, starting with my my PhD, where I just like prototyped collaboration tools and worked in kind of university and corporate setting then moved on to create a more, more radical experiments, uh, launching a few startups in the field, and then worked for, then went to work for DAOStack, which was one of the pioneers in, um, in Ethereum uh, for, 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 for creating and managing decentralized governance solutions. Uh, yeah, and then, and now Cardano, so, so somehow, you know, all these, all these things, it seems really, weird and radical and small kind of came together. It's, it's, it's pretty cool. Project Catalyst is moving full steam ahead. And when you consider the progress made in just a few short months, it's really mind blowing. But there are details that have brought up a few questions. In order to qualify to vote in Project Catalyst, it's been said holders have to have at least 3000 ADA. Now with the price well over a dollar, uh, it's prohibitively high, especially for all of these developing nations that we're trying to bank. Uh, what's the plans to address this? So, first of all, it's, I completely get why people get upset about it. It's, it hurts to feel you're not included. And I think that's really, um, and, it, and it's 
I think it's a justified emotion. Like if you really want to participate and you feel you're, you're blocked just because of, of funds, that's like, uh, I totally get that. I think, first of all, I think it's important to understand that um, this is just like the early steps in Catalyst. Um, this is just like our third, like our fourth iteration, Fund 4. And we're, we're improving every step of the way. You know, if, if you looked at what happened in how Fund 1 looked, or even how Fund 2 looked, uh, you can see like really big differences. So, so just the fact that things right now are look in a certain way doesn't mean it will look like this in, you know, uh, next fund or the fund after that. Things constantly evolve. Specifically, the, the reason why, why, why we do this and and you know, and, and and we actually care a lot about inclusion. That's I, I guess that's the whole point, right? Um, of having decentralized governance, is um, there are a few vulnerabilities, both for both some security vulnerabilities that I'm not going to get into, and also from the performance side. Uh, in order to properly like uh, tally and compute these votes, um, while running some very sophisticated algorithms. That, uh, that maintain voter privacy um, that forces us to put this, this uh, constraint, constraint right now. But we have teams that are working on it and are constantly optimizing the way we do things and, and the threshold is going to lower over time. For example, in uh, Fund 2, we had 8,000 ADA threshold. Okay, so, so just in one jump iteration, we cut it more than half. And it will continue progressively to to reduce and reduce. And I think the most important thing for people who feel not included is remember this one key thing. Okay, like uh, of of the catalyst program, only about 14% of the incentives go to voters. Okay, and and for a lot of people, actually, the you know it kind of like covers their fees maybe, and it's you know it's not like uh, it's mostly like covered their costs. Mm -hmm. 86% of the fund is for proposers, is for referrers, is for community advisors, um, for innovators, and there is no threshold for this. Everybody can participate. There is even zero fees to participate. So the vast majority of the value both created and given back to people uh, is available to everybody in a completely open way. So, um, you know, so maybe right now you can't, you know, you, you, you can't uh, participate in voting, but you can be a proposer, you can, you can, you can mm -hmm. make a, a living and you can influence the system in a much deeper way, actually, by, by being an advisor or a, or a proposer or, or a referrer. Now, Dor, uh, I seem to remember Charles talking about this a long time ago. We're able to delegate our stake to stake pools, right? Are there any plans to be able to delegate our catalyst vote? Okay, I want to give you an announcement right now. It's going to be the first time maybe that uh, I thought it's a real scoop, but you can already delegate in catalyst. You can delegate your vote. Is that what you're telling yep. me? Yep. Wow. That is news. How do you do that? You, you open up your email. <laughs> <laughs> and you you send your you know whatever you registered your registration QR code mm -hmm. 
and your PIN code for unlocking that registration code, and you send it to someone you trust to vote in your, on your behalf. Okay. You can, so go, you, can go and you can go and scan that QR code and un unlock it with the PIN code. That QR code is completely safe. It doesn't contain, it doesn't give them any control over any of your private keys, any funds, nothing. The only thing it, it gives them is voting power for this particular round. It's mm -hmm. not even permanent, you know, it's, it's just for this round. So, you know, um, if there's someone you really respect their opinion, go ahead, send them, send them your, share your QR code. You can telegram them, you can SMS them. Sure. And, and, and they can vote on your behalf. So we can already start and prototype this. Yeah, I was just kind of thinking this might be a solution for that threshold. You know, if like a whole bunch of people under the 3,000 threshold pooled their money, maybe they'd be able to do it. But it's like you say, we're in the very, very early days of all this. Yeah, but, but we're thinking, of, yeah, no, but, but that's also like, like uh, that, that would also be a path to solving. I think we're actually going to outpace like with optimization. Mm -hmm. It's going to be, be quicker path to solving this issue than... Uh, then until we implement delegation in, in a full sense, like in a very easy UI and you can like, you know, have a drop down of like your favorite experts and like representatives, you know, that, that would come too. Um, I certainly appreciate your explanation of all this. That really makes a lot of sense. And it also feels good to know that you're, you're uh, sympathizing with the people who kind of feel left out. Um, there's another group of people that feel a little bit left out. It's those of us who have hardware wallets. Uh, can you explain why the delay in hardware wallet support and when we can expect to actually see that? Sure, sure. The f so first of all, like, uh, you know, delay in d delays is like, implies like we said we're going to do it and we're delayed, right? So we, we actually, we, announced pretty quickly, pretty uh, pretty clearly, you know, that, that hardware wallet integration is gonna take time and we're very careful to do that. So, uh, you know, don't don't get disappointed. It's actually, you know, it's, it's just the process that we're, we're working at, at break, breakneck speed. We already had, have, uh, you know, added integration to Daedalus Mainnet and to Uroi browser extension, and I can tell you that now we're working on the next fund on the Euroi mobile integration. Mm. And doing that thing in this, the pace that we did right now, it's breakneck, breakneck speed. Um, Thor, no and, good and deed like, goes yeah, unpunished. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. And, but I mean, but, but you know, I think it comes from people just really wanting to participate, mm -hmm. you know, that like they're really itching to, to vote and influence, I, I get it. Sure. All right, Thor, last question. I mean, uh, oh. I, mean I mean, just once, one more last thing about hardware wallets. Like, there's a technical reason. It's, you know, when, when you, every time you integrate with a hardware wallet, you need to negotiate with those suppliers of the hardware wallets, or these companies. That's like not, on, not under our control. You know, it's, it's kind of a, a dependency with them. And also, you know, you need the... Um, and you know we're working in an iterative way. Like our the whole process of registration is like rapidly changing. So you know we need to stabilize it a bit, and then there's like a bit of a gap, you know, until they implement it themselves. That that's that's the only reason. Otherwise, we would have done it from the, the start. All right. Last question, Dora. What's the one question you get asked the most? 
what is Catalyst? <laughs> and then what's your answer? How do you explain Catalyst to them in, in, a, in a sentence or two? Um, it's, a, it's a giant experiment. <laughs> That, that we're trying to figure out how to how to manage the Cardano treasury in a, in a fair and impactful way. And we're and we're trying we're exploring ways to do that and iterating until we get it like just right. Um, by the way, the second biggest question I get, okay. which is maybe more more uh, mysterious, is like people are asking like, oh, what if some proposer don't uh, deliver? Right, mm. like, 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 what if proposal takes the money and run? What do you do then? Like, what's what's the accountability model? I'd love uh, to know the answer to that. Yeah. Um. The answer is that we're implementing step by step accountability mechanisms. Um. Right now, when the funding is still a bit, you know, it's like in the early stages when funding was a bit small, and there was like uh, the group was pretty, you know, group of. Uh, very loyal, dedicated community members asking for small amounts of funds. Uh, we actually just did a, a model of trust. Okay, when when where we actually trust people to, uh, to to not scam, and we kind of get to know them through the process. Um, but but they, we did ask them for transparent reporting. So every two weeks they file a report exactly what's their progress and. How they're addressing the metrics and the 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 everything we measure in the challenges themselves. Now in fund three, we're taking it accountability one level up, and we're going to have a conditional funding. So you're not going to get all the funding you requested like one one leap, you know, one one go. But you know, as as your reports pour in and and there's progress and. Uh, and your project advances, then then you, you receive the funds in uh, you know uh, part by part. Perfect, Dor Garbash, product manager at Input Output Global for Project Catalyst. Dor, thank you so much for your time, and look forward to talking to you again soon. You too. Take care. Dor hosts the monthly Catalyst Town Hall video, the last episode airing a little over a week ago, and we'll be sure to link to that in the description. News this week out of the FD7 Ventures Global Crypto Investment Fund trading $750 million worth of Bitcoin for Cardano and Polkadot. Businesswire.com broke the story, and if there's a larger example of institutional money moving from Bitcoin to any other altcoin at all, we've not been able to find it. Joining us from Toronto, Prakash Chan. He's the co-founder and managing partner of FD7 Ventures. Prakash, extremely grateful to have you on the show. Thank you, James. I really appreciate it. And, uh yeah, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Perfect. So FD7 is definitely ahead of the curve here. How did you decide initially to get involved with cryptocurrencies? So uh, I'm very early in crypto. Um, it was around 2010, 2011. My last venture is uh, called Ask the Doctor. And I was actually working with a company called Cosmics, um, which is now Walmart Labs. And they're based out in San Francisco, California. So. I was flying from Toronto once a week, once every every two weeks to San Francisco. And um, one of the employees at Cosmics, I remember going out for a coffee with him. It was in 2011. And he just wouldn't stop talking about Bitcoin, Bitcoin, Bitcoin. And, you know, I'm just kind of, I'm like, what is this you're talking about? Anyways, uh, he ended up convincing me to buy Bitcoin. 
I ended up buying about a thousand of them. Well, I bought a thousand of them just at around $2, just over $2 a pop. So I spent about 2000 US dollars um, buying some Bitcoin. And what ended up happening is the only thing I ever used that Bitcoin for was uh, there was an online Bitcoin casino, which I was playing, you know, blackjack, poker, just, just having fun on there. And I probably spent, you know, between 200 to 250 Bitcoin um, just playing on this online casino. And uh, fast forward a few years, um, that those 750, 800 remaining Bitcoin were were on an old white MacBook Pro that I'll always remember and uh, told one of our employees while we were moving offices is take out all the old laptops and put them in the recycle room. We don't have any use for them. And I totally forgot about it. It was sitting there on my on my laptop and it was gone. So I'm one of those stories that, you know, I threw away 750 Bitcoin. So um, that's kind of the first part of the story there. You know, as I started 2015, 2016, even learning more you know, about cryptocurrencies and, you know, Ethereum and all of this other stuff. Um, I, with AskTheDoctor.com, we were back then before we pivoted our business, we were a medical question and answer service. And uh, you can find these articles still on, you know, Huffington Post and Point Telegraph and, and stuff. 2016, we started accepting Bitcoin as a payment because um, there was a layer of privacy. So, you know, we'd be getting a lot of questions from people using Bitcoin to ask their medical questions. So, we started collecting Bitcoin as early as 2016. And uh, that that was kind of my experience with it. And, you know, back then it was more of, you know, people didn't want some sensitive medical, like they didn't want someone knowing they were using a credit card to, you know, pay for medical advice or something. And they started using Bitcoin and we had a lot of traction with that. So that was back in 2016. Man, wow. That's incredible. Um, maybe you can tell us about your internal decision-making decision process. What was it about Cardano that really got your attention? So, to be very honest, um, I've always kept my focus just on Bitcoin and Ethereum, just like, you know, a lot of other people. And, you know, just even talking to friends and you know this, you know, there's a lot of... Uh, you know, retail investors coming into this space now. And, you know, they don't know the first thing between things like, you know, a hard wallet or a cold wallet. And, you know, just, you know, a lot of education stuff like what is blockchain? And just on the very simplest terms, they don't really understand uh, cryptocurrency or blockchain and, and a lot of these terms that, you know, people that are seasoned in the business use. So I'm lucky enough that one of the um, original crypto pioneers is a, is a dear friend of mine. And, you know, he introduced me to Cardano and to Polkadot, both of those, you know, two projects. And, you know, he started teaching me a lot about it and, you know, telling me a lot about, you know, the founders and, you know, how they, they worked. And after that, obviously, I went and did my own homework and research and really started reading about, you know, uh, Gavin and Charles's story and, you know, even Vitalik's story. And, you know, I I just started seeing these, you know, these guys are building the, the super highway of the internet with Web 3.0 and just where Cardano and Polkadot, Ethereum 10 years is going to be is just, it's, they're going to be on the same breath that we talk about the Amazons, the Microsofts, the Googles of the world. And, you know, it's, it, this is not, you know, people, and I say this to everyone, you know, people trying to make, oh, I'm going to buy this because the price is low and then I'm going to sell it at this. You know, I, I'm anti, anti that all the time. I'm more of a guy that, you know, you know, this is a great project, invest in the project and, you know, hold this for the long term because these are, 
these are world-changing products that aren't just going to be a means of currency exchange like Bitcoin is, um, or a means of value exchange. These are going to be actual projects that we see disrupt from, you know, finance to education to you name it. And, you know, what I, I've always said this, I mean, any other investments that I've made, you know, like that, you always, I always, my line is, I always bet on the jockey, not the horse, right? Mm. And when I looked at projects like Cardano, I look at Polkadot, I look at Ethereum, right? The founders, you know, have a track record. They've built something already. And I would not bet against them. It's just like I would never bet against Tom Brady or LeBron James, any of these guys. They know how to win over and over again. I mean, it's the same way with, you know, an Elon Musk. Would you bet against Elon? No. You know, so that's kind of the way I, I, I put these guys at the same same level as as these other very successful guys and i think again we're just we're very early in this so you know you know when people you know come up to me and say oh am i too late to the party am i this i'm like the party hasn't even started yet you know and and i tell people i'm like don't just blindly put your money into this token or this alt token or i even bitcoin if you don't understand it don't put your money into this so my line to everyone is spend hours upon hours, you know, learning about this. Even before I put a dollar into like any of these altcoins, I've spent like, you know, hundreds of hours researching them and learning about them and talking to people that are experts in the space and making my own informed decision. So that's kind of how I came about making the decision with Cardano. Yeah, I get the, I get the question all the time, is now the time to buy? And uh, you know, I tweeted this week even, no, three years ago, when I first told you about this, that was the time to buy. But yes, anything under $25 for Cardano is a steal. Right. But uh, getting them to have that intrinsic motivation to do their own research is the challenge, I think. Um, mm. And it, it, Fortunately or unfortunately, bull markets seem to motivate people, um, even if it is a bit late. So changing gears, I do want to ask you, this is the first time we've really seen institutional money move from Bitcoin into alts like Cardano. Uh, can you explain the rationale behind this move? I mean, listen, Bitcoin's a brand, right? Like at the end of the day, it was the first one out there. It's, you know... You look at what do we refer to tissue as? I always say, hey, pass me a Kleenex. You know, when I'm ordering, uh, if I'm out and I'm ordering a car, I'm like, oh, let's order an Uber. It's not, hey, let's order a Lyft or, you know, so these, the, these brands have just become so powerful. And, you know, Bitcoin was the first. So everyone's just kind of like, I need Bitcoin. I want to buy Bitcoin. It's trendy. It's cool. But if you really look at the technology behind it, yeah, they were the first, you know, but Vitalik, you know, came out with the, you know, the smart contract and just really changed the game. So for me, I'm looking 10 years ahead and 10 years from now, you know, it's, it's these projects like, like, um, Ethereum, like Cardano, like I'm very, very bullish on from, you know, again, talking to the right people and, you know, doing my own homework and reading. So I, I really do think that, you know, these are projects that are, you know, going to be world changing. So, And do you think that because these projects, you know, like Ethereum changed the game and now we've got cryptocurrencies like Cardano that are even ready to scale. Do you think that institutions and maybe even regulators are starting to see that and the tide is starting to change? Well, listen, I'm a firm believer in 
my investment strategy is very simple. If I think something's adding value to society, I will invest in it. And it's it that's that's my very simple simple thing. And I've always think technology, any technology, no matter what it is, goes through a very long period of adoption. And we just see it over and over again. I mean, you saw it with, you know, the taxi industry, we saw it with you know, the taxi industry going to Uber, we saw with Airbnb, you know, and hotels, like just these battles that we've seen it time and time over and over again. And, you know, I'll give you my own example. I'm one of the co-founders of Ask the Doctor, as I mentioned, and my, my so I'll actually tell you this funny story. So my one of my co-founders on Ask the Doctor, he registered the site askthedoctor.com in 1996. And just think about this, we're in 2020, in 1996, he was, he, created the site and he was getting people to send him money via check or Western Union to answer medical advice. He had CNN, NBC, like CBS, you name it, come to his doorstep with a video camera in his face going, who is this quack doctor they called him giving advice online and it's he, he's doing this, all of this other stuff. Fast forward from 97 to 2007 when I got involved with us the doctor and became his co-founder and you know we started you know doing telemedicine back then in 2007 i had regulators you know coming down my throat down my neck and they just were like what is this guy doing and and just just making me shut down regulatory ways fast forward 2020 and telemedicine's here to stay i mean it's almost like look at every other week. I mean, I've seen, I lived in San Francisco and I'm in Canada. I'm like all these telemedicine companies that you see here. I was like, yeah, we were doing that 10 years ago. And you know, it's just, now it's adopted. It took that much time. And I'm like, it just takes time. I think that's, that's the one biggest thing that I, that I've learned. And even, you know, some of my angel investors in ask the doctor, when I had first showed it to them in, you know, 2007, 2008, you know, they were like, Oh, this is never going to work. Nobody's going to give advice online through, you know, a video portal or anything. Fast forward six, seven years later, they all became my first angel investors. You know, mm. so they started, you know, believing in it slowly. And I've noticed this with crypto as well, right? Like you notice it with Bitcoin. Five for five years now, my friends have been asking me, "Oh, should I buy it?" Ah, no, this is garbage. This, this, this. And is this every year? It just seems like more people start coming into it and learning it and, and realizing that, you know, what is this? And I think the, the thing is when people really understand blockchain and they really understand Web 3.0, they'll realize the super highways that Ethereum, Cardano, Polkadot are building that are very different than what Bitcoin is. Yeah. Prakash Chan, founder and managing partner of FD7 Ventures, thank you for your time today. It's incredible to hear your story about all this stuff, and I would love to talk again the next time your fund makes headlines across the globe. Thank you, James. I really appreciate it. And that does it for us today. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can do so on one of these channels. Please like the video, subscribe, and consider delegating to our stake pool, United States of Cardano, ticker USA 01. Thanks again for watching everyone. I'm James Kiever and that's your Cardano update.